does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Fan Midday Show on a Friday post-Pacers draft. Jimmy Cook with Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. Man, this is a treat. From the YouTube audience, you know what I'm talking about. Traditionally with these Friday conversations, with one of our favorites, the fans own Kevin Bowen. You can find his work, 107.5thefan.com. And of course, here on Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 a.m. on Kevin and Query. In studio today, again, I'm not going to fully roll out the red carpet like royalty, but what, what do I what do I owe the pleasure here? Is it, is it media availability for the Pacers later? Is it just where the schedule worked out? What do I owe the pleasure? Hey, maybe I wanted to see you and Eddie smiling faces here, Man. you know? He I wanted to know. see my Cincinnati red shirt. That's yeah. probably it. Sold out, Eddie, for this weekend with the Braves in town. Uh, no, I, I did have a little draft content action. Um, like you said, presser coming up at two, but I feel like it's been a while. That, it has been that I've been in studio so with you uh, and I like to sit in the Jake Quarry chair just to manage uh, all the technological <laughs> difficulties he seems to uh, hit every morning from 7 to 10 a.m. so I'd like to just kind of troubleshoot some of those does it help you also get more appreciation for the type of weight that he has to carry from 7 to 10 uh, well let's not go there um, yeah let's not let's not feed the ego any more than it needs to be fed fair enough Pacers draft we already talked about it a little bit. We'll start with the first round with Jairus Walker. Were you as confused as I think a lot of Pacers were initially with the NBA and how they present trades? Or were you like me where you had your side screen on Twitter, sure. you knew what was happening, but you felt a little bit for the average Pacers fan? That's a good way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, you and I fall into the whatever, the 2-3 percentile that's locked into Twitter like the losers we are. Um, and so I'm sitting there watching the telecast and, and, you know, I was watching with my wife, Maddie, and she's sitting there like, oh, so, you know, what should I know about this guy about Bilal? And, yeah. and I'm like, well, that's not actually the guy. And then like, she looks up like three minutes later, she's like, wait, he's wearing a Pacers hat. Are you sure? And I'm like, this is so confusing to the average fan. I mean, I'm sure you've touched on this already, Jimmy. I thought the ESPN broadcast was utterly horrific. Um, you know, to me, you've got an ABC broadcast and ESPN broadcast. ABC should be casual fan, human interest, parents, siblings, coaches, everything. ESPN, sprinkle a little bit of that in. I'm fine with that. But let's get the analysis. Let's like rely on the ESPN personalities that you you know pay an absurd amount of money to. Not enough J.J. Redick. I thought Jay Bills was pretty poor up there as well. Um so yeah, I, I just thought I, I'm not one that usually rants and raves like, oh my gosh, media, you know, broadcast this and that. But I just thought the product in general, which to your point, you're talking more NBA rules based on the confusion. That's not necessarily as much ESPN. Yep. I mean, yes, I think they probably could have stepped in a little bit earlier and been like, here's Woj. This is our first because at that point, that was our first lottery trade, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken of the night there. Uh, but I think the NBA needs to take a little assessment of the offseason and say, all right, let's stop at the stupid hat thing on draft night. Let's provide more clarity for our fans. I mean, this is what I've been banging on the table, and I know you have as well for the last couple of years, because, and we'll, we'll have Dan Purcell on a little bit later, as I mentioned, top of the two o'clock hour, former NBA front office executive, and maybe get some clarity there. But it has to be a rule, but it's a dumb rule. Like, I, I don't I don't get the semantics of it where... Not only the hat, but for all time, if Jairus Walker ends up being 
the next star of the Pacers. They want to have a spot for him. I know I'm I know I'm jumping way too far ahead here, but just this is what sure. the fact of the reality is. If he ends up having a spot in the Pacers Hall of Fame, there's an exhibit about Jairus Walker, <laughs> and it starts with his draft night selection. Is it more impactful to hear the Indiana Pacers select or an hour and a half later, we have a trade to announce? Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, Walker was confused as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, unless your agent is incredibly plugged in right then and there, which, you know, the agent probably should be, to be fair. Uh, pretty confusing. Now, as far as the trade itself, totally good with it. I mean, like, you trade back a spot, you save, what, two and a half million, and you add a couple second round picks. And, but, you know, that Kevin Pritchard and his staff have done a really nice job of. On paper, stuff that doesn't look like a lot, it adds up. And we won't get into like the NBA rules, but like second round picks matter mm-hmm. to teams, especially from a financial standpoint. And so that is critical when you start to piece together future trade packages down the road. And you know, Chad Buchanan said it to us earlier today when we had him on of at some point, you're going to kind of turn the leaf over as a franchise and say, we're not trying to get five picks in one draft. We look at those picks and say, yeah, we like them, but we'd like to move them for a player or we'd like to do something of substance a little bit more. And I think they tried that at seven, but they just couldn't pull it off there. But it seems like that is something that they'll continue to be very open minded about. Were we wrong then or did we jump it a year too early to have this thought that, again, you're not going to make five selections in one draft? And I guess they didn't. They made four. And with the two way contract ability, they'll still have a roster spot or two to be able to play around how they want to the rest of the offseason, but it did feel like at times, and I'm not mad about the way the draft went for them. I'm very happy with all the needs that they addressed, but it felt like we were anticipating or expecting, even if it wasn't with seven, some type of real movement that wasn't just two 28-second rounders, which I don't necessarily hate. Like The Wizards could be really bad in five years. They're not yeah. exactly a franchise that exudes championship pedigree. I'm not mad about that move, but they still end up with four selections where I thought there might be actual movement. Yeah, I mean, getting the future first was something I really wanted to see them do, and they did that yep. with with Denver. I mean, I, I do think you hear from Kevin Pritchard after the season, and he talks about the two big moves they tried to make at the trade deadline, and obviously that didn't happen. Right. You know, even again, Chad Buchanan on with us earlier today saying we tried very, very hard to trade for a vet. Unfortunately, those players weren't necessarily available. So I do think it's a reminder of like you need a two way street. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I know this isn't doesn't fall in the veteran category, but Chad said to us today, as soon as Cam Whitmore Villanova got to ten, the Pacers started to make calls from ten to twenty. So for ten picks, you're making calls. Now at some point the value just gets to a level where you say, we like them, we don't like them that much, because teams you know, are, are trying to kind of fleece you there in that situation. So I, I, I do believe the Pacers in that they're open-minded to that, but Jimmy, I'm also not one that thinks like you're pushing all the chips into the table right now. I, like, I, I still want to hold on to a few. Um, they've done an unbelievable job the last 18 months in getting this mm-hmm. rebuild on really solid ground, but I don't think you're there just yet where it's... We're trading for Andrew Bynum and Evan Turner, and all, all of a sudden, you know, we're we're going to win a title. <laughs> right, like I, I right. don't think you're there as a franchise. I think you just kind of naturally continue to let this grow. You know, Tyrese Halliburton's been a Pacer for just over a year. You kind of forget about yeah. like things like that. So I was good with what they did last night, adding the future first, and now you let this season play out. You put Matherin in the starting lineup with Halliburton. That's something we haven't really seen yet either. And then at some point, yes. You, 
you're going to you know turn the throttle up a little bit more. Um, I understand when you have seven overall, it, it could have happened last night, but I was okay with them still you know kind of operating in a little bit more of a, hey, we're in stage three of a four-stage rebuild or something like that. When you look at now Tyrese Halliburton, when you look at Benedict Matherin, and you look at Jairus Walker, Kevin Bowen, nice enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show, when you look at those selections, is this a core that you feel optimistic about their ability to build around? You're not going to be able to analyze the development of a three-year track right now. But when you look at the core they've now established and the hope that they won't be in the lottery next year, is this a nucleus when you were mapping things out mock draft-wise and the countless evaluation we did that I see this, I see what they're really trying to build when you plug Walker in there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Walker was easily the best fit if you were purely going off that. I know you and I had this debate of, you know, do you go best player available at seven or do you go best fit? And they clearly told us what they did. They went best fit. If they want to go best player available, they would have taken Bilal maybe. You're thinking big picture of like, let's take the biggest swing, I guess is probably the better way to put it, or even a Cam Whitmore. Uh, But they clearly went with best fit there. Um, I think it's a group right now. And we'll see how next week unfolds because we all know the first week of July is wild in the NBA. So when you know you and I have this conversation in July, it'll probably be different. <laughs> but right now, I see a team that should be in that five to six range in the Eastern Conference. You know, assuming health cooperates there. But I mean, you're looking at a starting lineup of Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, Jarris Walker, Miles Turner. And a bench unit and some grouping of Andrew Nemhard and TJ McConnell and Aaron Neesmith and I assume Chris Duarte is outside looking in right now. You know Ben Shepard, um, you know Isaiah Jackson, the, you know though Jalen Smith, those sorts of guys. I'm sure I'm missing a couple that would be in that second unit. But when I look at it, when I just look at the roster in general, Jimmy, I see a 10 to 11 man group that is much more of a modern look to the NBA. It's a much younger look to the NBA. Everybody that matters in that 10 to 11 group is under contract heading into next season as well. And now you just, I think, are better equipped to have success not only this coming season, but in future years. You still need more tweaking. You certainly you certainly need that. Um, but I just feel a lot better about where you're at versus where you were a couple years ago. And again, I, I think in, in the you know hierarchy of the Eastern Conference of the 15 teams, I think you should be a top half team. As you see the amount of guards on this roster stack up, and a clear question mark that I had going into last night's draft was... Buddy Heald is your main, like, true, dominant, reliable three-point threat as a starter. And if you're talking about dealing him at the deadline or perhaps trying to maximize where his value is with this being a contract year for him, what are their options going to be the rest of the season with him? When you look at the shooters they've acquired and you're looking at how this thing's mapped out, does it change your evaluation at all? Or where is your evaluation, rather, is probably the better question of what Buddy Heald is for this team, just focusing on this season. Yeah, I man. I know John has talked about it a lot. Buddy Heald's really important because when you map out the starting lineup that we just did, you know, Matherin was what last year? Was he thirty-two percent from three? I, I, 
I don't know what the exact number was. And obviously, Jairus Walker was 34 in college. So that's not a great number. Right. It's not awful, but it's not a great number. So you have two guys there that, you know, on the old, you know, whiteboard in the locker room before the game, they're not yelling, run out at him at all costs and make him put the ball on the floor. They're saying, you know, he can hit one, but we don't need to treat him like we need to treat Buddy Heald. So I think Buddy is really important for spacing. Um, you know, Jimmy, to me, shooting is a skill set that just doesn't die as quickly as other skill sets and so he's been really durable throughout his career um so i think that is appealing but at the same time your question i was asking some of our guests over the last few weeks we knew what the number one need was going into last night it was the wing the four-man defender and that's obviously what you did with walker but when i asked people what the second need was in my mind it was another shooter because Buddy is in a contract here, and you can't totally ignore that because you never know how trades are going to develop and how, and he is north of 30. And I know that his track record says that he has been very durable throughout his career, but you can't just act like he's 82 games for the next four years and he's going to resign with you and he's going to shoot it at a rather historic clip, which is what he shot it at throughout his career. Um, so I think it was wise to make the Ben Shepard move yeah. and just get a little bit of. A uh, bit of insurance there, but the con of putting a guy like Buddy in the starting lineup is him and Tyrese Halliburton is one of the more poor defensive backcourts you're going to see in the NBA. Yeah. Benedict Mather needs to take a stride on that end of the floor. He's too athletic to you know not be a better defensive player. Obviously, that's where Walker helps, certainly Turner as well. So uh, Again, I, I still view Buddy as a really important piece. I'd answer calls on anybody on my roster. No one is untouchable, even Halliburton. You know, just gather all the intel. Gather all the <laughs> intel, right. and, and obviously there'll be price packages that will differ a whole lot for, for various guys, but I, I think Buddy is critical to this team. My viewpoint has never been trade Buddy tomorrow. It is that when I'm looking at what this core is going to be four years from now, and there's no doubt that Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan have, are always valuing that way. You sure. have to in a rebuild. You have to be looking two or three years ahead, not just from a cap standpoint, but just from a roster construction standpoint. And I go back to your point of, I'm not saying he's going to get hurt. I'm saying once you get into that 32, 33, 34 range, some of it starts to lose its mojo. Now, shooting's always there. You pointed that out. I mean, shooting's always going to be there, but the price point would have to be such a favorable aspect of this extension, whatever it happens moving forward, for me to want him to be here for two to three more years. I think right now, to be able to be a leader in that locker room and be a starting presence that can help everybody else develop, I think is great. But you're right. They know it's a contract year for him. And I'm not saying he's going to get the full Miles Turner treatment, but he would be a very attractive piece if at the deadline you're looking to either gain assets or sure gain a another veteran somewhere. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is worst case scenario, but if you have a big entry to Tyrese Halliburton and the season starts to go down a yeah. really poor path, yes, so trading Buddy Heald the deadline to a contender you would think would net something in return. But I'll, I'll reiterate, Jimmy, again, I think he's vitally important because the person that you would seemingly plug into the starting lineup ahead of him would be Andrew Nemhard. But Nemhard isn't a shooter. And now all of a sudden you're just shrinking the floor. He isn't that type of shooter. Um, he can obviously hit open shots, but now you're shrinking the floor even more, and that impacts Matherin as a driver and just things like that. Halliburton as a driver as well. So, um, you know, I, I will be interested this offseason to see does Buddy Heald get extended because they have cap space. Mm-hmm. Um, how they utilize that in free agency, you know, Chad Buchanan made it very clear with us earlier today. They're still hunting for that 3 4. So even though, you know, Walker kind of fits some of that, if you look on the depth chart, that's still something that I think you need to go out and try to find. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but yeah, Buddy, Buddy matters.
did it surprise you? I won't focus as much as aggressively as I was with the Pacers earlier, which is that you had a conversation with Chad Buchanan, and I appreciated him being as honest as he was about everything. And I agreed as well that I don't really see a fit here for Trace Jackson Davis. I don't. Like, with, with where he is with his game and what the Pacers have at the power forward slot, I don't get it. Now, you and I don't have to have this discussion that I've already had once today, which is that there's semantics here where it seemed like to me on Twitter, Trace Jackson Davis was upset immediately after the Pacers passed him in the second round. Could have been a number of different things. Perhaps it was just he was mad that he wasn't taken earlier in the draft. Right. It it's feels weird. It's 12.30 in the morning. He still doesn't know where he's going. Yeah, it could have been frustration. It feels weird to me that if you were told by your agents or by scouts that you were going to be taken in 17-20, that you would wait until after the 47th pick to make a tweet like that without it being personal. But either way, were you surprised at his fall specifically? Because we talked about Cam Whitmore's fall, but I was rather taken aback and really felt bad for Trace that even though he ended up in, I think, a perfect spot at the end of the day, there was moments watching that draft, Kevin, as I was trying to stay awake, where I felt like maybe he should have stayed. Because this he was not told, oh, you're going to be a back end of the second rounder. Like, that was not the evaluation on him. It was late first, perhaps early second. And for it to be that late in the night without his name called... There's an argument to be made that maybe he would have been better off staying yeah, and he got I, bad information. You know, Oscar Sheboy stayed and went undrafted. So, I, I sure. I, you know, it, it, unless he all of a sudden became a 40% three-point shooter next year in Bloomington, I, I don't really know what staying would have done for him. And plus, I do think there's an element of, like, does he just want to move on to the next part of his life? Very I fair. mean, I, sure, there's a lot of perks to being an IU basketball player. There's also a lot of pressure. Yeah. And I think if you would have written out the 30 NBA teams that Trace Jackson Davis would fit the best with on paper before last night, he just went to the best one. Yeah. And I'm not saying that because he's playing with Steph Curry. I mean, I guess there's an element of that. But if you look at Golden State, and again, it's kind of multifaceted, Jimmy. Look at their roster. There's nobody over 6'9 on their team. Yeah. Jermichael Green's 33 <laughs> years old and he's 6'9. Like, they are small. Mike Dunleavy said it last night. He's probably going to be a roster guy. Dudes that get drafted 57 overall are not automatically on an NBA roster. The Pacers, to your point earlier, the likely two-way contract, both of their guys. I don't think Trace is going to be a two-way guy and you know the Santa Clara Mad Ants or whatever their G League team is. Um, Santa Cruz Warriors. Thank you on that. God, the fact that you know that. <laughs> And I, you know, I'm afraid you're right on that too. Uh, and then the last point is, you know, similar Jalen Hood Shafino with the Lakers, with how the Lakers and the Warriors are constructed, their eighth, ninth, tenth guys cannot be making eight million annually. Yeah. They have to kind of be rookies, and that's what they have. So, you know, Trace I think walks into a situation where, unlike again, 95 percent of the league that would have taken him late in the second round, first off, they're telling him you're not going to be on a two way. We have no bigs, really, uh, especially like young, you know, promising bigs. And there's also an opportunity for some playing time. And for both parties involved, if I were Rick Carlisle, I wouldn't have wanted drafted Trace and think to myself, oh my gosh, here we are at game 13 and I'm literally answering questions about why Trace Jackson Davis isn't playing. How many times did Rick have to answer questions last year about Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith's playing time? Sure. Imagine if that's now Trace in that mold. Uh, and again, I thought Chad was really candid with us about Trace and explained it very well. Kind of a mutual interest of guys, look at it on paper. It just doesn't look good for Trace here in Indiana. And Chad said it to us earlier today. I mean, they've got four centers on this team right now. And Miles Turner and Daniel Tice and Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. And we know how much age matters in the NBA. Isaiah Jackson's two years younger than Trace Jackson Davis. So, 
I get the sentiment. I get that there's the feel-good Hollywood story. I understand all of that. I, I do think Trace can have a role with Golden State. But there was not one part of me last night that like looked at pick whatever, 26, 47, and 55, and got that up in arms about it because I just don't view the need there in Indiana. And I just think it puts a lot of pressure on the kid and on the organization to try and deliver. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Outside of the draft, now that they have everything finalized, of course there'll be adjustments on, on two-way contracts, but as you pivot now towards the start of free agency... And once the final cap numbers get underway, once they've paid their rookies and gotten all that squared away, is there a name at this point that really jumps out to you? And if not a name, where would you like to see, ideally, assuming it's a veteran of some capacity, not just like a two- or three-year guy, but an experienced veteran, where would you like them to go from a position standpoint? Yeah, I mean, in a reasonable value, I do think Dorian Finney-Smith is somewhat intriguing to me as, again, not making an absurd amount of money, has history with his coaching staff, um, you know, can kind of be a bit of a stretch four for you. It, it is a veteran on a roster that has some, but do, it is not littered with veterans across that unit. Um, but, you know, every time I do think about that, I, I am kind of in the boat of, and this is probably more of my mantra, it's how I feel about Anthony Richardson, it's how I feel about Benedict Matherin. I just love to see Jairus Walker get 30 minutes a night. And, and I know that's a lot. I mean, it's it's a lot for any rookie, but, it's, you know, even a seventh or eighth overall pick. Uh, but he's a name that I keep on coming back to is like, okay, you know, does that make sense? You know, if you got like a DeAndre Hunter type from Atlanta, does that all of a sudden kind of push Matherin into that two guard role? You know, do you have enough shooting there? Does that push Buddy to the bench? Those are some things to keep an eye on. You know, he's not a. Uh, I don't think he's a starting four in this league. But if you look at the free agent list, first off, it's not a just unbelievable looking list by any means when you look at it. But from a local angle, a guy that I thought had a really nice season for the Kings last year that is a free agent is Trey Lyles. And again, I do think that that kind of fits a little bit of a, a stretch four type on that end of the floor. Um, but I'll be really interested to see how next week unfolds because, you know, again, Chad said we got to balance out the roster a little bit, you know, two kind of center heavy, need that other wing. And if I were going to nitpick the second round last night, Jimmy, I would have liked to have seen instead of like what appears to be on paper, a couple two guards drafted in Mojave King and then um, Isaiah Wong, I, I would like for one of those to kind of be that wing, you know, more that 3-4. Uh, I thought it was interesting when the board started to fall into the 50s. I forget which pick I looked at it, but at one point, let's say we were 20 picks into round two, I think only two forwards or centers had been drafted and it was just kind of a reminder of Trace Jackson Davis again Oscar Sheboy undrafted Drew Timmy undrafted like it's just how it's wild to think that these insanely productive college guys that's what happens to them but you know unless you can stretch the floor a little bit or bring kind of a dominant athleticism trait uh, oftentimes NBA teams are going to bet on the potential Uh, Roy Hibbert in our YouTube chat wants to know where you got the hat he said he really likes it (laughs) God, for a minute there, Eddie, I thought you were serious. Uh, my Uncle Tad got this for me, uh, a little corduroy action. Jake is Jake is a big fan of this hat, and he looked it up what year it would have been. I thought it was a little bit more ABA, but 
Jake has thought it's a little bit more like 1980s-ish. So next time I see Uncle Tad, I will, uh, I'll let Roy know. I really but, like it too. Yeah, it's got good a good stuff. corduroy feel. Yeah, feels good. I figured, you know, draft night, bring it out Friday morning. Might, right? might as well. Last thing on my end, KB, we've been drawing parallels the last two years to this rebuild process with the Colts and the Pacers and how it feels like they were on similar timelines. Both drafts are behind us now. Where, if at all, do those parallels change for you? I know it's different sports, but the city is still feeling like they're in this motion of, okay, we see blueprints, we see ideas in place, and we've always kind of thought the Colts were maybe a year behind that because Anthony Richardson is very much entering the what does Tyrese Halliburton look like portion of his career as his first time in a Colts uniform, first time in a uniform of any kind. Are those parallels done, or where, if at all, are they modified after the Pacers draft last night? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've made the analogy before of like, okay, if you compare both organizations to a 100-meter dash, you know, the Pacers are whatever, 40, 50 meters into it, and the Colts are more of 20, 30 meters into it, maybe even less. But at least they're running the race, because I don't think they were running the proper race before. And by that, I mean the Pacers a couple years ago saying, all right, Sabonis and Turner, we're done. And we've tried to get this kind of somewhat mid to late 20 core that has some injury history, but we hope we can keep him healthy. And Turner Sabonis, this is the year, you know, Carlisle's time to, you know, try. And finally they said, all right, enough's enough. We can't go in that direction anymore. And finally, the Colts, after years of thinking the Band-Aid at quarterback would fix things, they made a commitment to a young quarterback. So, you know, both franchises in their own way have created hope. Again, the Pacers more legit hope based off what we saw last season, and the Colts will try to do that this fall. But, you know, me thinking back to, like, my you know big-time fandom days, I think as a fan what you want more than anything is for the team, and you certainly have it right now with the Chiefs probably more than anybody, what you want is this six to eight to ten year window where you feel like you can have perennial success and annually you can make a playoff run and whether that's win a division in football or get a top four seed in the NBA that's what you want to feel and I think very crawling type moments for each franchise we're still you know in the infant stages of even getting to walk or or certainly getting to run both franchises have at least attempted to do that, where I think I have made, and I think there's reason to make those arguments, in the last handful of years, especially the Colts, neither franchise was setting up. They were hoping for this like one- to two-year run, but it was a hope, and you knew it was a short-term and it wasn't going to last. Whereas for me, you get as many chances to throw darts at the dartboard, and if you can do that in kind of a six- to eight- to ten-year window... That sets you up for the best chance to make a deep playoff run. We saw that growth from the Pacers this past season. Hope we see it from the Colts. Hope to see you in here again sometime. Always good to have you here in the studio, KB. I mean, 7 to 10 every I understand. It's a grind, morning. but it's been a nice surprise. Yeah. Appreciate Thanks, it. I'm not, I'm not saying I've come accustomed to it in one segment, but hey, it's nice to have you in here. Enjoyed it. Eddie, have a great weekend. Roy Hibbert, shout out in the YouTube chat. <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at KBO and 1070. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jairus Walker coming to town for the Indiana Pacers. Their selection with the eighth pick in the 2023 NBA draft by way of Washington. See how confusing that is? Come on, NBA. I need, I need a little bit more clarity. Won't get into that rant again, but we talked about it with Kevin. We talked about it to open the show. But if you're in the know, 
You follow the NBA closely, there's no confusion for you there. One man that's as in the know as anybody, particularly in this town, it's the TV voice of the Indiana Pacers, 17 years strong, Chris Denary of Valley Sports Indiana. Chris, how are we doing on a Friday? Yeah, I'm doing great, Jimmy. How are you? I'm uh, he- heading down for uh, the Jairus Walker uh, press conference um, and then heading via – I'm going to Winston-Salem for the weekend for the National Sports Media Awards, but I'm going to have a stop in Cincinnati uh, to see the Reds and the Braves tonight. So Jealous. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, Brandon Gordon, uh, who was two after me as the voice of Butler – uh, is the new voice of the Atlanta Braves. So looking forward to seeing Brandon. He's a, a great person and a great broadcaster, and uh, looking forward to seeing him tonight. I love BG, as is Eddie. Give him our best. It's been a minute since we've got a chance to catch up, but give him our best when you see him tonight. And then, yeah, enjoy that. You heard Eddie there during your answer. Uh, he's the biggest Reds fan that I know and very jealous that you're able to get to experience what is special brewing up there in Cincinnati. Oh, there's no question. Uh, I mean, I grew up in Southwest Ohio, so I've been a Reds fan my entire life. And, you know, I'll be honest, when the season started, I I knew about five players on the roster. But uh, they've done a great job of bringing up the young guys. And, you know, honestly, it reminds me of of what the Pacers are doing. I mean, they've got bright young talent, um, and and so it's exciting to watch. And, you know, I'm excited about this Pacers uh, group, uh, adding Jairus Walker, uh, you know, add, you know, it's adding a shooter. Uh, you know, with the the second pick of the the first round, uh, I, I'm looking forward to uh, what these guys can do next year with this uh, nice young core of talent. Chris, I know as the play-by-play voice, you're less critical of draft selections and more just waiting for that pick to be announced so you can further dive in and get an understanding of the type of players that they are so with that mindset in mind for the folks at home what's a draft night like for you as you're taking it all in and learning about it in real time with the direction the Pacers wind up going yeah we uh, had all of our broadcasters uh, at the Midtown in Carmel last night we had a great crowd I mean I think they had 800 to 1,000 season ticket holders and Pacers fans there. So, uh, you know, we were out there with the people that support the team, that are fans, that are, you know, interested on a day-to-day basis. So, uh, you know, I think I've done a good job of following it, but there are clearly, you know, far more people, the Tony East and the Scott Agnes and the Caitlin Cooper, uh, you know, they've been they've been on this draft from day one. You know, as a broadcaster – Whoever is on the team, that's who I'm going to deal with. And so, you know, excited to – the the Pacers needed, uh, you know, more rebounding and better defense. Chad Buchanan talked about that on the morning show. Uh, They add another shooter in Ben Shepard out of Belmont. Um, So, you know, I'm excited to see how they utilize these young, talented players with the other young, talented players uh, they have on the team. You're right about the Midtown excitement. My, my nephew Declan was out there. I got some pictures uh, from the family and just the Papa shot, seeing Boomer, the Pacers atmosphere. It was, it was great. And obviously I was jealous. I, I couldn't be out there. I was just watching at home with fam. But it's always good to see the way the Pacers are involved in the community and those type of events. You mentioned as well, though, from your standpoint, when you did learn that it is Jairus Walker and you're mapping out at least in your mind, what this could look like when they eventually take the floor here in a couple of months. Feels like a perfect fit. 
what are you most excited about the freshman from Houston? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think honestly, and in, in the in the front office and the coaching staff are the, are the first to admit it. The, the downside last year was the defense and the rebounding. The upside was on the offensive end. This team could score with any team in the league. Uh, they had the tenth best offense. Uh, but the defense was a challenge, and I, I think Jairus Walker uh, provides a big, strong body. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys, he's sort of like Benedict Mather, and he does not look like he's 19 years old. Uh, he looks like he's NBA-ready, and I think it will add to the competition in that in that front court. And, and so Rick Carlisle and his staff toyed with a lot of things late in the year when Turner wasn't playing, when Halliburton wasn't playing, you know, uh, Aaron Neesmith had, had moved a little bit to the four position. Uh, Jordan War was coming off the bench at the four. But, but uh, you know, I, I look at Neesmith, and he's, he, he can play the four in a small ball four, but he's better suited to play uh, at, a, at a three position, I think. So I just think there, there are a lot of opportunities. Uh, that'll be something to watch in summer league, how, how these guys fit in. Uh, but more importantly, once training camp starts in late September, early October, you'll get a little better feel of, of what the Pacers organization is trying to do. And we still have, this is just the first step of getting ready for 23-24. Uh, you have free agency, you have trades that you have the opportunity to make. So like Chad Buchanan said earlier today, I, I don't think this Pacers group is done with what they're trying to do. Uh, the next couple of weeks will will tell us what they're going to try to do. TV voice of your Indiana Pacers for Valley Sports Indiana, Chris Denary. Nice enough to join us on the Fan Midday Show. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Denary. You mentioned Benedict Matherin in the early goings. He mentioned from his end-of-year press conference that there were clear areas where he needed to improve. He highlighted on the defensive end. He highlighted effort for every play. I love that honesty from players and the ability to, you know, be open and clear about where they need to improve. As you evaluate and look back at what he was able to do last season as a rookie, how paramount is that development, particularly on the defensive end, to reach the levels that Rick Carlisle expects this team to be on the defensive side of the ball this season? Yeah, yeah. guys have to improve individually, um, and, and then that will improve as a team. If you can take care of your own business, uh, defensively, they always say guard your yard, right? And and each individual has to do a better job with with his man. Um, that is where Benedict needs to take another step. I, I think his perimeter shooting it, it started out much better than it did early in the year. But again, it's a long season. You're making that adjustment from college basketball to the NBA. But there's no question that this is a young man that's going to put in a lot of work. Uh, you saw that during the regular season. You've seen that this summer. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that is going to do what he needs to do uh, to get better. And you don't oftentimes see rookies come into the NBA and average 16 points a game or better. And that's what he did last year. And I think, you know, he made the adjustment late in the season. He was a bench player. He was coming off the bench. Uh, but late in the year, they made it a little bit of an adjustment. They moved Buddy Heald to the bench and they started Benedict Matherin. And so I think that was a good adjustment for him to see what it's like to play against frontline starting players day in, day out. And that's something that, you know, he will find that, you know, is a little bit different than when you're coming off the bench. Chris, you're around this team as much as anybody covering them on a nightly basis throughout the season. 
And we know with roster construction how important it is to have veterans within that locker room that are able to help guide things and help show the ropes for rookies that are looking to get their footing sooner rather than later. When you look at this team, you look at the continued familiarity of what Rick Carlisle wants from Tyrese Halliburton, a second year from Benedict Matherin, and then, of course, true veterans like TJ McConnell, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner. Where are those biggest voices or where is the collective communication needed by these veterans to help if the Pacers really want to be out of the lottery next year? Yeah, there's no question. And, and, and clearly, Tyrese Halliburton is, is the leader of this team. I mean, he plays with such joy. Um, I've called him the Pied Piper, right? I mean, you can't – you have to follow him because um, just the way he carries himself on and off the floor, he's a joy to be around. You know, one of the things the Pacers did last year coming out of training camp, uh, they had James Johnson with the final position because they felt that they needed a veteran voice to just – help you know coalesce the locker room and 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 it, it was a you know it was a terrific locker room i mean uh if you talk to the athletic training staff and other people around the team and, and many of those people were veterans they felt it was one of the best locker rooms the pacers have ever had and so james played a role in that the question is will the pacers want to do that again um you know free agents are james johnson and george hill but you're going to be limited on roster spots right now. I think Chad Buchanan said today, right now they really only have one roster spot. So it'll be interesting to see as the summer goes on and into September, you know, what, what they intend to do. Do they feel like they have enough veteran leadership with those names you mentioned, or do they feel like they need to have, you know, one of those type of, you know, 13, 14, 15-year veterans to help, uh, help in the locker room as well? Chris Denary, TV voice of the Indiana Pacers for Bally Sports Indiana with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Chris, when you look at a player like Chris Duarte, who is still very much not only a part of this team, but but fighting for positioning on this roster, where do you need to see, regardless of if it's here or somewhere else, where, where what have you seen from Chris Duarte to this point in time in his career? I know he struggled with injuries as well, but where do you need to see his development if he wants to be a valuable piece or a valuable contributor to the Pacers moving forward with where this rebuild is? Well, I think you said it. I I think he's got to stay healthy. Uh, Each of his first two years, he's been injured. He missed significant time last year, and he missed significant time at a time when, when the Pacers were sort of finding who they were. And that's when Andrew Nemhard stepped in and, and played a great role. And Neesmith started to play better. And, of course, Matherin was getting time. And so when Duarte came back, uh, there was a little bit of a limited role for him. I, I think he's a tremendous shooter. He showed that during his rookie year. I think he lost a little confidence last year. Um, but, but I think overall, I, I think the biggest issue uh, for Chris Duarte is he's got to stay healthy. Um, they oftentimes say, you know, the best thing you can be is available. And if you're not available, that really hurts a team. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they utilize him. Uh, I guess you could say there's a little bit of a log jam at the wing position. But I think front offices and coaching staffs like that because it creates a competition within your team, and that makes your team better. You mentioned free agency on the horizon. Where do you feel that 
there's still either a glaring need or if you were to look at a position group where, wow, if the right veteran was here, that would really make a lot of sense. Where do you expect them to attack the most heavily with the cap space that they have when free agency starts next week? Yeah, I still think they'd like to, uh, you know, have more wing comp- uh, competition, if you will, three and D. You know, somebody that can shoot the three, somebody that can defend out on the perimeter. Um, you know, it's interesting, and I don't know all the semantics of the new CBA, but uh, I, I think I did hear you, when the season starts by day one, you have to spend 90% of, of the, the salary cap. And so that's much different than it's been in the past. Last year, the Pacers were able to hold on to money, and that worked out very well because of what they were able to do to extend Miles Turner. So they do have significant uh, money in free agency. Uh, as Kevin Pritchard has said, that still gives them optionality. And so it'll be a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. They will have to spend that money uh, before the start of the regular season. Um, and, and, and we'll just have to see what they do. But I do think they probably have their eyes focused on you know, a veteran at the wing position if you can get somebody for the right price. He's Chris Denary, TV voice of the Indiana Pacers. Chris, I appreciate you making time for us. I know, like you mentioned, you're about to get out there for the presser. Uh, safe travels to Cincinnati. Safe travels to Winston-Salem. Have a wonderful weekend, and we look forward to catching up as the offseason continues to roll along. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Always good to talk to you. Right back at you. That's Chris Denary. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Denary, TV voice of your Indiana Pacers with Bally Sports Indiana. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. <laughs> Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, behind the ones and twos. Man, the podcast audience won't be able to enjoy that at all. And that's probably going to be the theme of today is me announcing that to the public because Eddie Garrison, again, is moonlighting as a DJ today for the rest of the show. Didn't know Gangnam Style was going to be on the set list and get that ahead of time. I've suddenly gone back 11 years. So that's, that's where we're at right now. Let's go back to present day for a second. One of our favorites. He's a regular of the Fan Midday Show. He's Dan Purcell, former front office executive with New Orleans Pelicans, currently one of the leaders and director of scouting over at the Sports Business Classroom, had a live stream last night on YouTube. Dan, at least you had friends, colleagues, my, my, my good friend and friend of the show, Bo Estes, was out there with you as well of NBA TV. So you had people to carry you through that. But like you mentioned to me on Twitter, did it just feel like a longer first round than years past? Man, <laughs> it really did drag on a little bit, didn't it? You know, it's. It, I didn't think it was that. It was. I think the, the biggest thing is there wasn't a ton of depth when it came to eighteen plus. So I think from the time that the first pick to about the twelfth pick, it took forever. It felt like, which it usually does. You know, got to fill in media time and whatnot. But it did seem like it drug along a little bit. I want to go straight into first the Pacers selection, then of course we'll bounce around a ton throughout this conversation. But the Pacers have the seventh pick, and my producer Eddie Garrison had a wager that Jarris Walker was going to be taken with the seventh pick. So he's especially salty today because not only did he get the selection right for the team, but with semantics of the NBA, that trade happens, his bet loses, and you know we, we pour one out for Eddie in that regard. But aside from the confusion that is still present, that's where I want to start. 
you might not know the answer to this, but with the NFL, they can announce trades as they happen. There's no confusion on the hat that's being worn by the player. There's no confusion on the Washington Wizards select Jairus Walker. Well, no, they didn't. They traded him to Indiana. Is that just a unique rule within the NBA CBA or is it just a, a chosen path that they've gone down? Because for me, it would make a lot more sense for the folks at home and everybody else involved if it was more streamlined like the NFL does it. Do you, do you know why that is? Yeah, it's twofold, right? Sometimes when you make a trade like that, you are waiting for the new fiscal year, which is obviously when free agency starts, for that trade to actually take its completion. So you agree in principle, and then ultimately you'll trade the player at a later date, even though the player knows that he's – coming to the team and he's doing, you know, he's going to be a part of the program. And then on the flip side of that, if you're just dealing with picks, sometimes the league, you know, you're, the league has to approve the trade instantaneously. And sometimes they can't do that, especially when it's back to back like that. And it takes the league a little bit time to process, make sure all the CBA legalities are there and whatnot for it to be a legal process. So it's on the legal side, whereas with the NFL, it's a little bit more loose with where the fiscal yeah. year is and where their rules are, because you can have that same thing happen. And it's, we have a trade to announce, and the ESPN graphic automatically changes, and the Roger Goodell goes out there and makes the announcement before he even announces who the pick is. He announces the trade right then and there. It's a legal thing on the NBA side. Yeah, it's more of just, because sometimes you might, might want to make the trade and complete it after the new, you know, after the, the next year CBA comes in. And if that's the case, you'd have to wait until you can clear everything um, with the league in terms of, are you adding players to that? Uh, is this something that is going to be you know, used forward into another trade? Is it a three-way trade? So there's just a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different variances that come with it. So it's a, it, makes it, a, it, it stinks that you know, we can't do it like the NFL, but just for now, um, you know, it's going to have to be that way. Is it fixable, or is it something that because of the way their fis- fiscal calendar works and because of the fact they have free agency after the draft and when the new league year opens that – unless they change the way free agency and the calendar year works for them, it's going to be this way forever. It's going to be this way forever. Okay. It's just the way that it's sure. just the way that the league league works. And it, you know, it aesthetically, it's not pleasing, but functionally it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, like I said, I, I totally get from, from your perspective, especially as a former front office executive, but for those of us that are, in the media that are covering this all the time, we're used to it. It makes a lot of sense. But again, for the common fan, you have all this confusion. And I give credit to ESPN a little bit. They did try their best to put the proposed trade graphics up there halfway through the draft. Granted, it wasn't big enough to really get full-scale attention. But that's good to have that kind of clarity that it makes a lot of sense. I figured it was something legal, and I figured you might be able to answer that. So, Yeah, it's, it's completely based upon you know a current CBA and then obviously what teams want to do with that pick. So if, you, if you'll notice that some teams won't have their press conference the day after, or if they do, they may not have a guy that they traded for or a guy they traded out because of trying to get the trade completed. I know you've been as close on this as anybody with the NBA draft and looking at these big boards and diving into it like we all have. Dan Purcell, nice enough to join us, former NBA front office executive in a part of the sports business classroom out in Las Vegas. Pacers go Jairus Walker. That was somebody that was a betting favorite to be the selection there for Indiana. That was somebody that makes a lot of sense from a fit standpoint. When you look at the freshman from Houston and where his game is at now, where it could potentially improve, and what it means for a Pacers team that, again, hopes that this is their last time in the lottery for a minute. They want to be a playoff team next year. How does he 
make his mark on that equation? Well, first, just going back to Indiana on that, you know, it's been known, I think, I, I think it's been the worst-kept secret in this draft that they, if they were sitting at seven, Jairus Walker was going to be their pick. And i got to give kudos to the front office. They were able to leverage Washington to get to additional assets. Those, these microtransactions like that, that, oh, I just bumped up a spot, literally could be for something down the road that is make or break for a deal. And, you know, these little, those little things are a sign of a good front office, in my opinion. And then with, with Walker as a player, it's really interesting. You know, he, he's a, one of the, he was one of the best freshmen in, in the country in multiple categories, defensively, offensively. He has a lot of room to grow. I, I think he is a guy who can guard four positions. I think he can shoot the three extremely well, especially over time. As soon as he makes this his main thing, rather than having to go to class as well, I think you're going to see a big growth spurt with him. It's going to take him probably a year to you know, adjust to the NBA lifestyle, which is a lot on the road. It's a lot of going. Um, it's working out every day at 8 a.m. or 8.30 a.m. because he's going to be a rookie in the early workout slots. And, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see how, how long it takes him to be the player that I think he'll be and I think Indiana thinks he'll be. Um, but I, I love the pick. He's one of my favorite players in this draft. I think he has really good upside. He's a good kid, too. I think Indiana like hit a home run with this one. When you look at where the Pacers are right now, and we'll get to Ben Shepard in a second, or I guess we can throw him in here as he's a first-round selection and you would think that he's going to be in contention in his development for a meaningful role on this team. When you throw Shepard in there, when you look at Jairus Walker now, you look at a potential starting five involving Benedict Matherin, Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton, Jairus Walker, Miles Turner. Where do you view the Pacers from the national perspective, how they've built things and an Eastern Conference that you and I emphasize a number of times over the course of the postseason appears it has vulnerability for immediate turnarounds, maybe not to the very top of the conference, but to make some noise if you're on the right track of a rebuild like the Pacers think they are. Yeah, I think it's a, I, they maybe I'm not as high as, as you as it, are they a playoff team next year? I think I think a play-in would be a good step for them, you know, and it's not because of lack of talent. It's because lack of development. These guys got to play together, you know, and you think about Denver, even they had to go through rough patches to get where they are now. It wasn't just like all of a sudden Jokic is good and, you know, Jamal Murray's good. And, you know, but Jamal Murray went through a ton of, you know, injuries and setbacks and Jokic had to go through body transformation and fail in the playoffs. And to me, the progression, I, I think with this team, it's not this year, although I think, I think they're going to be a good team. They could be the seventh seed, I think, at best. I would like to see them get to the play-in this year, and then that next year is the leap year because you're going to have Jairus Walker on year two. Halliburton's going to be coming up on his extension, so he's going to be into that second contract. Obviously, um, you have Matherin. He's going to still be on his rookie scale, but he'll be year three in. So I think, I think really guys turn historically at about that two-and-a-half to three years um, – and I think that's when Indiana's going to start really making a turn. And I think you'll start seeing them go after more veterans. Uh, maybe not this year, but it pos- it's most likely next offseason. They may start to be a player in the secondary free agent market. I want to play out a hypothetical there because I don't necessarily disagree with you that perhaps I'm a little too high on the Pacers in thinking that 4-6 to six should be the ultimate goal next year. I-, I truly believe that they want to see that type of leap like any front office would. They don't want just a play-in berth. They want an actual ticket to the postseason with the hard work they'll put in over the grind of 82 games. But let's say that is the case where they are closer to a play-in team. I want you to put on the role as being a member of the Pacers front office. Buddy Heald's in a contract year. He's always going to be linked to trade rumors because of how valuable he is as a shooter. 
if you're looking at the Pacers and they are in the conversation of let's say eight to ten, they're not that seven spot, but they're eight to ten on that window by the trade deadline. Is that the time to cut bait on Buddy Heald, or when you look at what he still can bring to a team like the Pacers that are young and he's obviously an experienced veteran, is he someone you would want to try to retain long term? I think I, I think there's going to be a point where it's going to be, t- and this is just me forecasting. Right, now. correct. This is no information on the inside on this one, but you know, for me, I think at some point you're going to have to move on from him, um, and it's not because lack of ability or anything like that. It's just from a more so team building standpoint he's probably going to cost you too much because what's going to happen is you're going to have to pay Matherin at some point right on that second contract and if Buddy Heald wants three four probably wants four years it's going to be really hard to start overlapping that with the second apron and the first apron on the tax and I know Indiana doesn't want to be a tax team so you're looking at it as uh, they probably have to move on and get what they can for it and you know if Buddy's playing well which contract years most guys do play pretty well you're going to be able to get a first, one to two first-round picks most likely or maybe a player and a pick off of it. And to me, you have to get something for it. So his name will be linked with the Lakers, the Clippers, the, uh, the Heat. His name will be linked with them all year round. Um, and it's obviously, you know, they don't have the assets at this moment really to give something of value back to Indiana. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Dan Purcell with us, former front office executive at the NBA leader of the sports business classroom, along with a number of different heads that they have there at that event that's year-round but also takes place primarily at Las Vegas Summer League coming up here in a couple of weeks. Dan, you mentioned the Denver Nuggets, and that's an example that we've pointed to over the last couple of weeks for hope for the Pacers if you're willing to practice the level of patience that the Nuggets were. You highlighted what we had been talking about, that there were injuries, there were missteps, there was need to be able to see Michael Porter Jr. initially out of the draft having back concerns, be able to put all that aside and be able to be a valuable player. The acquisition of Eric Gordon, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon rather, Bruce Brown coming on the way that he did and now is going to get a big payday. For small markets like the Denver Nuggets, like the Indiana Pacers, not the fans, but the front office, how challenging is it in today's win-now society? At least it feels amplified, right? Everybody's always been trying to win. But in this win-now, we-need-it-right-now mentality, how hard is it to practice the type of patience that the Nuggets did with that core? It's hard because it's a, first off, the win-now league, as it's always been. But with the new rules coming in and the way that the new whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. economy of the uh, NBA is going to be in terms of the collective bargaining agreement. You're seeing a lot of teams adjusting with their second-round picks to be older guys guys who have already been seasoned, been playing. And that's something that, you know, we, we can have a whole conversation on the transfer portal and guys playing five years in college and all that. We can have that, you know, debate on another day. But what's the result of that literally is that these teams have guys now that they're drafting and they're five-year seniors, you know, or, they're, or they went to school for four years or, you know, they're, they're there for a really long time. And that extra two-way slot is really the key, in my opinion, to the small market teams being able to make it. You have to hit – if you're going to be successful, if you look at all, if you look at Denver, if you look even look at Golden State, you have guys that played in the G League that become role players on your team, and you have to have to create that, and you have to 
you know, cultivate that. And I think that's big for Indiana this year is they got to find the two-way guy or, you know, a G leaguer that can impact them. Not maybe not this year, but maybe get his, you know, get his, you know, beak wet a little bit this year, but it's the next year that he can step in and get a role. One of the biggest storylines last night was the free fall of Villanova's Cam Whitmore projected as high as anywhere from a, a five to 10 range at times from different mock drafts and maybe at his worst case it'd be 13 to 15 the free fall happened last night I know you still have sources within the league but perhaps you didn't get clarity on this like I was still searching for into the wee hours of the night there were reports that maybe there were medical concerns with him earlier in the week there had been well his workouts weren't flashy enough or or looked gave a taste in the mouth of some teams that perhaps they didn't want to give the draft expense to him where he was projected and I know those projections are just there like you throw them out once we get into the draft but did his free fall surprise you and ultimately when he ends up being selected where was the value at Cam Whitmore at that point because uh, Pacer GM Chad Buchanan was on our morning show Kevin O'Quarry today and he mentioned they had tried to go get Cam Whitmore but the price was just too high even to that 17 to 20 range they were willing to spend yeah so uh, Jimmy you should have watched should have watched our uh, live cast I went <laughs> the whole deep deep dive here on him um, so Cam Whitmore I, I have uh, I, I did a really before the draft I was really um, deep into who he is and what he's been doing and how things are coming out and he does have he does have an existing knee injury. They're worried that it's um, that it that it could be structural and it's going to take him some time. You know, they worry that maybe it's a Brandon Roy situation. That's kind of the the essence of it, just to give people a name that goes with some sort of knee injury like that. And they, of course, Brandon Roy had a really good career, and then obviously he no longer had you know cartilage between his his in his knee. So you know he was just bone on bone trying to play NBA basketball. It just doesn't work. And then also there was some there was some character issues as well. You know they were saying that he could be a bit prickly, and you know there were some things that happened at workouts that some of the te- really turned some of the teams off. And the the ability is there. I don't think anybody um, is questioning the ability. But at the end of the day, Houston. I, I got to give kudos to Houston. They he was Cam Whitmore was working out in Houston the entire time. Uh, the Rockets were in complete uh, control of the situation in terms of what they knew and what they knew of the kid. And I, w- I felt bad for him because most mocks had him at four. You know, he was sitting there at four, and he's the one guy who drops to 20 because, you know, he lost 20, I think the number was 26 or $28 million off the top of my head in literally two hours. And uh, it's a lot of money for a young guy. And I, w- I said on our broadcast last night that these are the types of situations that – you really want to see the kid's character pop out, and you really want to see how does he react to this? Does he attack his rehab? Does he attack the things that were knocks on him? And, you know, I'm excited to see what happens for him. If, if he fails, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's part of the risk when, you're, uh, when you get to the NBA is that you may fail. Dan Purcell, the Sports Business Classroom, former NBA front office executive with us here on The Fan. We mentioned Jairus Walker already. Ben Shepard, Mojave King, Isaiah Wong, you obviously were reacting to all the picks real-time last night on the Sports Business Classroom live draft show. For those that weren't able to catch it, what was your observations <laughs> by those picks? Again, I that would be myself included. I, I did poke in for a second, but it was, it, was, it, was, it was a lot going on last night from a local standpoint. But uh, Ben Shepard, Mojave King, Isaiah Wong, 
obviously varying roles or varying timelines for those three players. What were your takeaways from the other three selections the Pacers made last night? Um, ben Shepard is he, the upside is is there if they can unlock it. He'll be a good role player in my opinion. Um, they kind of reached a little bit, but I think it was more so that it was a fit more than it was a need. And I think if you're going to take a shot on a guy, you should take a shot on a guy who has a proven track record, right? So it's an educated guess that he's going to be able to be a rotation guy one day. And as for the, the two second yet rounders, uh, the kid from the Ignite, is it Moave? Mm-hmm. I have to make sure I butcher names, Jimmy, as you know. So <laughs> <laughs> I am not the, uh, the pronunciation king, but I actually like Moave. I think, I believe he's going on a two way from what I was reading. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but. That's the type of guy that I'm, I'm talking about. He has professional experience with the Ignite, and he's able. he understands how it works. And then you throw him into a two-way, and he understands the process. So you might get, become a faster grower in terms of your skills, your playing time, your role, because guys like that, they could turn it around faster, say a half season, a season faster, than maybe a kid who has not played professionally. For... The selection of Isaiah Wong, kind of a similar thing, right? Where even though it's a different position group, when you look at that type of late second round, or perhaps that's somebody that's either splitting time within a two-way deal or splitting time within the G League, as well as the Pacers. I know that he's most notoriety arrived from Miami's incredible run last year to the Final Four. Where were your observations for Isaiah Wong that late in the draft? I think it's appropriate for him. I mean, when you get down into the trenches there in those in those picks, it's kind of what do you value more as an organization? Do you, do you value athleticism and length? Do you value skills? Do you, do you value uh, physical attributes or maybe it's high IQ? Um, so all of those things are a part of going into that. And what Indiana thought, obviously, was that, that the length was important, that they they thought that, if he's going to be successful, that's going to be a main component of what he does. And then if he can get in their developmental system, that he may be able to be a player. I want to look at another local angle, but this time with the Indiana Hoosiers, they have two players taken in this draft. Let's start first with Trace Jackson Davis. Arguably the best fit in terms of what his game presents right now. The shooting is going to be the question mark that continues to follow him. I've argued yeah. that... I think that he does have the capability in his game, not necessarily a high level that is required to be an everyday starter, but enough so when accompanied with his passing and his ability down low and to move without the ball that I think in the right system he could work really well. And I'm sure I haven't talked to Bo directly, but I would think from Bo's perspective when he's seeing some of those highlight passes from Trace and he thinks about how Steve Kerr likes to play, he's lighting up for what that second unit could look like. Where do you feel about the fit for Trace Jackson Davis in Golden State? I mean, if there's a better place for a young guy to go, I don't know. That's that's one of the top three places to go if you're a young guy, right? And I think, it, just to be honest with you, I can't tell you that I'm a huge fan of his game translating to the NBA. Not saying he's not a good player. Not saying he's not that. But personally, you know, just for me, I think there's just some deficiencies. And if he's, like, you kind of you, you were the scout on that one. You know, the shooting is a big thing. Yeah. And you have to be able to hit open threes. You have to. And there's a lot of times with him that you wonder where it's at. You know what I mean? You're, you wonder where that shot-making ability is at because for him to be successful, if you look historically, those types of guys have to be able to knock down open three-pointers. Have to. 
other Indiana product in Jalen Hood Shafino ends up in Los Angeles. When yep. you look at where their timeline is at, I know it surprised a lot of people that they made that selection, but I also look at guards that the Lakers have able to utilize as first rounders or just very young players and turn them into valuable contributors. It addresses a need for certain, and Jalen Hood Shafino, even though the highs are incredible and the lows are maddeningly frustrating, where's <laughs> that landing spot in La La Land for him with what would be asked? of him with whatever the Lakers end up doing with their starting point guard slot, whether it's D'Angelo Russell, whether they actually go to acquire a veteran. What is the runway like for Jalen Hochefino? I think, well, first off, as a player, I really like him as a player. I think his, you can, when you have a guy who's physically has a really good base to him, you can start there and build from the ground up. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. like, it's like a really good place to start. And I think anybody that watches him, watches he plays with force, right? And so now you have a guy who's strong, plays with force, can get downhill on people. I think, for me, I actually like the pick by the Lakers. I think it's a great value pick for them. I actually had him going a little bit higher, but I think that I'm not sure that they're going to re-sign D'Angelo Russell, to be honest. I I think that ship has kind of sailed. So there may be some minutes in there for him to develop, but I would would look for him to more take a back seat for the first half of the year. I don't know that the Lakers are interested in, unfortunately for him, giving him meaningful minutes to develop in the first, you know, six months of the, or I'm sorry, the first 60 games of the year. Right. So we'll see how it goes and whatnot. But the Lakers, I mean, they're in win now mode all the time and they have LeBron, they have AD, they have, you know, they have this team that they're going to be adding to in free agency. And then obviously maybe they'll, they'll pull that buddy heel trade on top. But if they, if they are to pull buddy heel away, then that obviously takes a lot of minutes away from them. Dan Purcell with us, former NBA front office executive and a member of the sports business classroom here on The Fan. There was a trade a couple days ago the Pacers made where they got the ever ominous cash considerations in a deal. They're able to obtain roughly $4.3, nearly $4.4 million in a deal with the Lakers. From the front office standpoint, I want clarity for our listeners and, and make sure I understand it as well. Let's say the Pacers have $25 million in cap space for that trade is made. There were no players that were exchanged in that trade. It was picks and cash. That doesn't automatically make the Pacers have $29 million in cap space now, correct? No, that does not mean that. No. Okay, so, so, so what, what can they do with that money? Like what is utilized for that money in a, in a hypothetical adding $4.3 million in a trade? Uh, it's you pretty much save it in the piggy bank for later. Uh, it's not to the cap per se. It's just it's just cash exchange between two teams. You're you're allowed to take X amount of cash in between teams in trade uh, for the year. That's capped as well. But you know, I, it, as small market teams do, I, I worked with a small market team, and sometimes you know when the value of the picks is really not that different, but someone's willing to pay you a lot for that. Sometimes you have to take that money. Sometimes that goes goes to the ownership. Maybe that goes to the business operation. Like there's money that gets moved around off of that. So it's not like if we're just looking at it in a vacuum. Yes, it's money that goes to the team, and the picks were swapped. But there's internal. I'm sure there's internal ways that money can be used. Uh, maybe it's a player down later down the line. You know things like that. Maybe it's a buyout candidate. Maybe they signed somebody in Europe and they they need to use some of that money for buyout. So. There's there's different ways that those things happen, but I thought I mean it was, it was smart. I don't know that the difference between those two picks is 
like for me, I would I would have done the same thing, just to be honest. Yeah. So it really is, though, like the joke that we were making yesterday with Moneyball, where I know the Pacers aren't quite that disparaging as the athletics were back in the 2000s, but it literally couldn't be had all my players to pay for soda for three years. Like, it, it, it could be used for that? Yeah, technically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the Pacers... No, I don't either. I don't either. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess you could say it would be used for that, yeah. <laughs> Dan Purcell with us here on The Fan. Dan, last thing before we let you go, when you look at the ramifications from this draft, and we'll keep it both Pacers and you can sprinkle the national angle as well. What is next with a team like the Pacers with about $25 million or so? That number will come a little bit down once they sign their rookies, but if they're looking for a veteran, if they're looking for another shooter or another wing, what is available for them with this free agent class that would be appealing, not just from what the Pacers could spend, but also for a player that would be the right fit to come to Indiana? Maybe not a name, but a fit. Sure. You know, with with this much money, I mean, the thing is, they may want to make a splash next season. It may not be this season. I remember, they do have to start paying people. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, you you have money this year. I would say, if it's me as as more of a role rather than a name, I'm looking for wings that are athletic that we can play, that we can switch with. Maybe a mentor type person, um, somebody that's been in the league a little while and can you know kind of be a positive impact along playing, you know, along with playing with younger guys. Obviously, I don't think getting a vet who's probably not going to touch the floor is a good thing. You just don't have Udonis Haslam's growing on trees, right? <laughs> guys who aren't going to be malcontents about not playing. So for me, I want to get a guy who can play. I want I would prefer a wing, uh, maybe a backup point guard just to, you know, take the, maybe have Halbert and play off the ball a little bit, but um I think more of it is instead of the name, because a lot of stuff is going to happen here in the next, you know, week, week and a half. I don't know that they have to be day one signing, signing guys to their team. Now, if it's a vet and he's, he has multiple, you know, multiple offers. And by the way, I, Jimmy, I'm not saying that anybody ever negotiates before the uh, deadline. Of course not. There are rules. There, there are rules that we follow, yeah. Dan. Of course not. There's never been. I would. I, I can't remember a time that and there was ever a rule breaking of yeah. that. No. And uh, I think it's more of a, a more of a can this guy fit the type of people that we need? I don't know that the names are there yet because I think there are going to be some more moves right. that are going to be made here. So it'll be interesting to see. Dan, it's great to catch up. Always appreciate your insight. I know you'll be heavily involved as a director of scouting with Sports Business Classroom with what's going to happen with free agency, but also the great event out there in Summer League. Uh, anything else you want to plug in that regard with you guys are just about two weeks, three weeks away, if that, uh, from the start of Summer League in the revamp of Sports Business Classroom. Yeah, we are we are officially sold out. So it is, um, it, it's going to be a fun event, obviously. We, we have 62 majors in, uh, or 62 students in my major, which is scouting, video, and analytics. So, you know, I always tip my cap to those guys because we always have the highest number. And I was, you know, having fun with uh, Bo yesterday on that because he does broadcasting. <laughs> and, uh but it's it's a, you know it's just a great program. The immersive experience is just unlike any other. The access to NBA personnel is unlike any other, and you know it doesn't guarantee you anything, but it gets your foot in the door. And there's no other program out there that does that. Well, enjoy Las Vegas. Can't wait to continue our conversations as always. And yeah, safe travels to you as you're moving about there on the West Coast. Thanks, Jimmy. Dan Purcell. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Dan P underscore NBA, former front office executive and current director of scouting over there at the Sports Business Classroom.